our Servant Leadership Podcast program is rapidly growing. If you're new to our program, welcome. This is a great one for you to listen to today. It's such a special podcast program for us. From our last Servant Leadership Conference, we are bringing you the one and only Vicki Clark. Yes, her entire keynote presentation on our Servant Leadership Behaviors. Vicki is one of those people that you may have never heard of, but once you hear from Vicki and you hear her message, you will never forget her. She is a true treasure. She brings humor, heart, and a holistic approach to leadership development. And we have more good news for you too. Vicki was so popular at our last conference, we're bringing her back to our next conference in February in warm San Diego, California. So kick back and listen to this very wise woman And then when you're finished listening to this podcast, head over to ServantLeadershipInstitute.com to register for our conference in February in once again, warm San Diego. Enjoy this program, everyone, and take care. Everybody good? Everybody dancing to the music of servant leadership? Huh? I put the podium on this side because you guys didn't get a lot yesterday. So hey over there. Hey, hey. And hello over there. Memphis. Do you know that Memphis is mentioned in more songs than any recorded songs ever? The word, the town Memphis, over a thousand songs. First of all, I do not have an orchestra. I do not sing. So you will not have to sing, and I don't have an orchestra. What I do have, though, is a heart for serving. What I do have, though, is a mind that wants to continue to learn. And yesterday was amazing. Wasn't it amazing to just learn? Oh my gosh. So we're talking about leading the band from where you stand. And if I could change the title, it would be leading the band from where you dance, because I hope you're not just standing somewhere. you got to be moving. Leadership is all about movement. But I'll tell you what leadership is not. Everybody, how many people have an organizational chart in their organization? Raise your hand. Whether it's a nonprofit organization, whether it's a corporate business or government organization, How many of you brought your org charts with you? Somebody's like, I can Google mine. Uh, You know what? We don't care about the org chart because leadership is not a title. It is not a position. It is action and example. That's what it's all about. You say, but see those people at the top and then there's some people at the bottom. See that original concept of leadership was some people at the top told some people at the bottom what to do. And the people at the bottom either did it or they went away. And the people at the top really didn't even get to know the people at the bottom. See, this is all about relationships. You can lead from wherever. 
quiet leaders. The key to successful leadership, Ken Blanchard said it, is influence, not positional authority. Not positional authority to affect the nature, the development, or the condition of somebody. Who are you influencing? We're going to talk about that. No matter what your position in an organization or a family. We heard the maestro talk yesterday about how his daughter led him to create an orchestra of people who couldn't be in orchestras. She was the leader. She's 10 years old. She was the leader. She led him. The idea of influence, speaking up for those who have no influence. Who do you speak up for? Servant leaders always speak up for people who have no influence. And there are a lot of people who don't have influence. We're always influencing others, even when we are not aware of it. You know why? Because we're always being watched. We're always being watched. And this was before the cameras. This was before we had cameras everywhere. We're always being watched. My mother told me that someone is always watching you, she said, when I was a little girl. And if they catch you doing something wrong, see, she didn't know about Kim Blanchard. She wasn't like, if they catch you doing something right. She was, and if they catch you doing something wrong, I will know about it. You see, my mother was not a servant leader. She was a, a public school secretary in the 50s and the 60s. She was a hierarchical leader, and my dad and I did exactly what she told us to do, and we lived to tell about it. <laughs> Dodged a bullet on that one. But the idea is that Think about, we have to stop thinking about leadership as titles. We must stop thinking about leadership as titles. We got to break that old mentality that the person who makes the most money or the person who has the largest office or the person who's been around the longest or the person who's wearing the cutest shirt. It's interesting, group dynamics, when you look at who the real leader is, the idea is who is a leader? Anybody who influences somebody else's life. Do you make people feel important? Do you really make people feel important? Or do you make people feel used? That's the whole idea. When you think about, what have I done today to make people feel important? Have I just breezed past people? Or have I really talked to them? What do they hear? So the idea that if you actually inspire people to dream more, to learn more, you can read this, do more, you're a leader. It doesn't matter where you do it from. This idea of influence, think about your sphere of influence. When someone once said to me, think about your sphere of influence. And I said, I don't know anybody influential. I don't know anybody who's important. And the person said to me, everybody is important. So think about your sphere of influence, kind of get you started this morning. Who do you lead personally or professionally? You notice we're not asking you who's in your department. We're not asking you who's in your unit. We're not asking you who's on your product line. We're asking you, who do you lead personally and professionally? Take a few minutes at your tables to talk about that. So talk amongst yourselves for a few minutes.
Okay. All right. Do we have a mic? Do we have a mic? Anybody want to share who they lead? Tell us who you lead. You were all talking about the Kardashians. <laughs> you weren't doing the exercise. Come on, somebody, who do you lead? Anybody? You do lead your children, okay? Anybody else? Ourselves. We lead ourselves, yes. We need to, what is it? Lead others, manage yourself. Yep. Anybody else? Hmm? Donors in a nonprofit organization. Lead your donors. Yes. Anybody else? Clients. Clients. Lead the clients. If we give everybody the idea that they are a leader, how many people who are in our sphere of influence do we hear say, I'm just a? I'm just a. I'm just a receptionist. I'm just on this team. I'm just a this. I'm just a volunteer. I'm just a retiree. I'm just a this versus no. It is up to servant leaders to help everybody else see that they are a leader. And if we start treating everybody like they are a leader, respecting them and saying to them, you are a leader. Guess what? Then we will have created an entire universe of servant leaders. We won't have to have this conference anymore. And that'll be a shame because this has been really fun. Um, <laughs> But once everybody becomes a servant leader, but it's up to us to say you are a leader. When you look at me and say, I'm just a, oh no. Somebody said, I'm just a first time attendee. You are a first time attendee. Leading the charge here and going back. So now we got a silly question. Why do we even need servant leadership? You know why? Because we have something called a VUCA world, a VUCA world, the world as well as local communities, as well as some of our organizations are volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And some of our families, but we can talk about that over wine later. <laughs> volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And the world, I didn't invent that. The World Economic Forum did, and they did some studies, Outlook on the Global Agenda in 2015. And they said that this type of volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity creates challenges for leaders. Somebody sitting out there going, you got that right. The demand, but it creates challenges, but it also increases the demand. For servant leaders. When do you need, you don't, you know, when do you need a servant leader? Things are volatile. The servant leader comes in and calms things down. The music gets real soft. Sometimes you need to play some soft music. You saw the maestro, he revved it up and he slowed it down. When things are volatile, I'm sure there's nothing that's ever volatile in your organizations. Never. When it gets volatile, you step in and calm it down. Settle it down. When it gets uncertain, oh my gosh, there is no certainty in today's world. There was no certainty in today's organizations. We know how uncertain it is. Funding, uh, being bought out by another company, uh, changes in government, 
There's no certainty. The servant leader comes in and says, it is going to be okay. I can't tell you what it's going to be like, but we will be okay as long as we are doing the right thing for the right reasons. As long as we stay on the right journey. That's what the servant leader does in a VUCA world. And then this complexity. Oh, my gosh. Is it just me or is the world getting complex? Press button three. Uh, Your passcode is 99 numbers. You know, (laughs) here's your confirmation code. Touch screen. You better change your password every three months. I've had the same password ever since I had a password. So if you want to hack me, hack away because I can't remember them all. (laughs) So just hack me, you know. If you hack me, you got to pay my bills, though. Uh, So this idea of this complexity, things that used to be so simple are very complex. The, The servant leader comes in and makes it simple. See, hierarchical leaders like to make things hard because that's how they show you how smart they are. I'm going to say a lot of words that you're not going to understand. I'm going to use a lot of acronyms that you don't know the meaning of because that's going to show you that I'm very, very smart and you won't know. And if you ask me, that will show that I'm much smarter than you. Servant leaders don't do that. Servant leaders simplify things. You say, it's not that hard. Let me simplify it. And, And acronyms, I think we need to have an acronym free world. We're talking about complexity. And I know it's real cool now. Everybody has acronyms and all that. We wonder why no one understands our mission. No one understands who we are because we speak a language that nobody else speaks. So when you talk about these acronyms, Kentucky Fried Chicken is now KFC. They don't want you to use the word fried. It's fried. When you pick it up, the grease is still dropping out of the bottom of the bag. Call it KFC, call it what you want to. The chicken is still fried and greasy. And that's why we go there. So be a servant leader and simplify things for people. I love the way the speaker yesterday, she said, you see this 32 thing? I'm going to make this simple for you. I'm going to send it to you. She said, don't try to follow this. Did you see that? She had to chart up there. She said, don't try to follow this. I'm going to send it to you. She's a real servant leader. She wanted all of us to get something out of that. And then this idea of ambiguous. We got to help people to know where to go. And Peter Drucker talks about mission. What is your mission? And many, all of you, I'm sure, have mission statements. Most every organization, even we talked about families. They talked yesterday about a family having a mission statement. Organizations having a mission statement. I'm not so interested in a mission statement because that's just a bunch of words. I'm interested in what journey you're on. See, servant leaders help to clarify the journey. Where are we going and how are we going to get there? And we spend so much time arguing over mission statements. How many of you have ever been on a team or a committee where you had to rewrite or edit a mission statement? Raise your hand. How many of you would do it again? Okay, two. What do you get hung up on when we're rewriting and editing these mission statements? The words. Then sometimes you get hung up on the length. Somebody once said, wrote this little thing that said, a mission statement should fit on someone's T-shirt. Whose (laughs) T-shirt? You know how many words you can get on my (laughs) T-shirt? And that's just the front. And then you get hung up on punctuation. 
I was uh, in a, with a group and I wasn't leading the group. I was part of a group in Houston and they weren't like serving leadership institute. They didn't give you food and all that stuff all day. And it was nighttime. Folks, blood sugar was going down, you know, and we were working on this mission statement. And this woman drew her line in the sand about a colon or a semicolon. It was nine o'clock at night. And then she got into a big discussion with this other woman and the rest of us were like, please just get us out of here. And the person who was facilitating, thank goodness it wasn't me, finally said, I think this woman said she used to be an English teacher in a different life or something like that. And so they gave her this semicolon and we all ran to our cars. Um, (laughs) She had kind of started to get ready to cry, you know, that emotional blackmail stuff. And... So the facilitator, okay, okay, we're going to do what Gladys says. It's a semicolon because she used to be an English teacher. And the other woman was like, well, you know, wasn't many servant leaders in that group. Um, when it got typed up, there was no punctuation at all. <laughs> and then all they did was put it on some stationery and put it in some grant proposals and, you know, things like that. We didn't use it. It, it wasn't our journey. So the idea of the servant leader, we got to have servant leaders because the world, organizations, families, companies are volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. And servant leader is anchored on the foundation of making relationships better. Even when the world is volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous, the relationship is about the relationships. There is definitely a lack of trust. Oh, my goodness. Who trusts anybody these days? You know, one of the songs that I love that has Memphis in it is Walking in Memphis. Well, I learned how to walk in Memphis. I was born in Memphis. My family lived in the foot home housing projects, and that was a step up. It was great. And people moved there because it was the journey to a better life. And I learned to walk there. I also learned to trust people there. Because in those days, and yes, it was the 50s, you could go outside and ride your bike. You could play in the yard. You could visit other people's homes. Now, you had to be back before the streetlight came on. But there was a whole neighborhood that you trusted. We are not in a trusting. We need servant leadership because there's a lack of trust right now. We don't trust anybody. I worked in a very toxic organization, not to be named unless I've had three glasses of wine, (laughs) where they actually pitted us against each other. If you could take 25% of this department's budget, what would you do with it? You didn't walk into the parking lot with those people at night. (laughs) No, this is real. So there's this whole lack of trust. Even with my sons, I realized that they didn't, I didn't allow them the freedom that I had because the world had changed. When we look at who trusts, the idea of the, which sector, religious organizations are trusted, 3.5.7%. They've done studies because everybody's done studies. Business organizations on a scale of 10, 4.72. Educational organizations, 4.70. Healthcare, 4.53. News media, 3.94, but that depends on who you're talking to and on what day. Government, 3.83. Nonprofits, 
we trust our nonprofit organizations more. But yet we know that there is also malfeasance in nonprofit organizations. So this idea of we need servant leaders because there is a lack of trust that creates a sense of anxiety. When I went into the workforce, we thought that we would get one great job and we keep it forever. We trusted the organization. We trusted the people we work with. When you look at it, I know you're going to have some conversation around millennials. Xers and millennials understand that they will have more than 12 jobs. But they know that. And so they're having to build their lives and their careers around this mobility, if you will. So there is a lack of trust in organizations, businesses, just the, the lack of trust. One of the 21st century deficiencies is this loss of trust and honor. So we need servant leaders. We need people we can trust. And then there is the lack of engagement. Oh, my gosh, the lack of engagement. Anybody here engaged? I mean, like, really engaged to be married? No, not engaged in servant leadership. Engaged to be married? Stand up, give our hand. Woo! So now I don't really remember what it was like to be engaged. Obviously, I was engaged to the wrong person because I'm divorced, but that's another story. Uh, But when you're engaged, you draw closer to something. Servant leaders draw people closer. When you're engaged, you learn. That's why we're here. We're engaging each other so we can learn. You change your ideas about something. When you're engaged in something, you get engrossed and absorbed in it. There is a lack of engagement where we are now. Robert Putnam wrote about bowling alone. He did a study in the late 80s to say, wait a minute. People are doing lots of things, but guess what? They're doing it by themselves. People are still bowling, but they're bowling by themselves. Think about how much we do alone now. And there's nothing wrong with alone time. We need alone time, but we are totally disconnected. We are a disconnected society. We don't know the people who live next door to us. We don't know the people in the next cubicle. We don't know anybody. And so this lack of engagement is why we need servant leaders, because as servant leaders, you pull people together. You introduce people. You make sure that people connect. Everybody here is talking about connecting. And Putnam redid his study in 2000, and it was even worse. We're doing everything alone now. And we're putting up, well, I love the technology, you know, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. I don't, that little ghost scares me on Snapchat, so I don't do that. Um, I don't really have anything to Snapchat anybody. Um, but the idea that the technology has divided us. Because it has kept us from having face-to-face encounters. It has kept us from really getting to know people. I could create a whole fantasy world on Facebook and you wouldn't even know that I was an old black woman from Memphis. I could put all kinds of little cutie pictures up there and things like that and use all kinds of little buzzwords and that you would have no idea who I was. So we need to really, servant leaders have to engage people. And when you read Putnam's work and he talks about the lack of social capital, and it's not just about warm and cuddly feelings. That's what people think about servant leader. Oh, y'all just run around being nice. That's not a business strategy, running around being nice. The companies that have embraced this are making money hand over fist. 
Somebody talked about Southwest Airlines, talked about, look at what we heard yesterday about the health care, Kindred. Look at what we know about uh, what we know about Starbucks, what we know about even small businesses. This is not just warm and fuzzy. I mean, I'm not against warm and fuzzy. But the idea that we're creating social capital, you are not afraid to share information. Hierarchical leaders don't share information because information is power. I know something that you don't. You know, so the idea of reciprocity and collective action, that's what servant leaders uh, believe in. Employees happiness quotient is a multiplier. According to a Gallup poll, and this is on the Servant Leader Institute website, unhappy employees cost the U.S. $550 billion a year. So the sense of a lack of purpose that I have and a lack of meaning and I don't want to really be here, that's money going out the door. In your nonprofit, your mission's not going to get accomplished. This idea, 70% of people at work say they are not engaged. So it's like 30% of people doing all the work. The rest of them are in there kind of looking for other jobs, just kind of hanging out. Uh, 75% of people voluntarily leaving jobs don't quit their jobs. Guess who they quit? They quit their bosses. You notice the term leader didn't show up. Because, see, we don't really quit leaders. We may change jobs, but often people who are leaders in our lives, we keep them in our lives, and they keep us in our lives. So this idea, another reason why we need uh, servant leaders is a lack of meaning and purpose. What's it all about, Alfie? That was another song. What is it all about? Am I at this job just to be at this job? Am I on this board just because being on a board is going to build my resume? You know, am I working at this government job just trying to get a pension? What am I doing? Is there true meaning and purpose? We got to put emphasis on meaning and purpose, why we're here, what we're doing. Not just those stats, not just those metrics. And I know they're important, but we don't even do the people metrics. We don't ask people. Somebody says, I'm not, I'm not, I don't care if they have meaning or purpose. They just need to do their job. Well, how are they going to do their job if there's no meaning and purpose? Relationships with other people are related to how happy we are. If you've ever, so many, many of you have started a small company or worked by yourself. How many people have you started working by yourself or started a small company or went to a small company and then watched it grow were part of it? Oh, lots. You realize what happened when it was just a few of you, everybody was real close, and you talked and you got to know each other, and then as you grew, you felt like you didn't know it. You heard what Art said. Art said, we do happy birthdays for everybody. They let their employees decide where their philanthropy dollars go, doing everything that they can. This has to be strategic to continue those relationships. Of course, everybody wants to grow to engage other people. That primitive nature says, it is not about the well-being of you, it is about me. And that's what servant leaders have to fight. The other one that we have to talk about is we gotta behave our talk. Now behave. Growing up in the South, in the 50s and 60s, I heard this word a lot. I was a precocious child, let's just put it like that. (laughs) Behave, my grandmother would say, behave. The idea of what are you going to do? You're going to act in a certain way. And we, oh, we can talk. Many of you, you've been tweeting, 
Servant leaders need to do this. Servant leaders need to do that. This is what servant leaders do. We can all talk about it. How are you going to behave? What are you going to do? We're going to do what Ken Blanchard said. We're going to try to catch people doing good stuff. We're going to talk to people. I don't have time to talk to you. I just came back from a servant leadership conference and talked about relationships. <laughs> I've been gone out of the office three days. I got to get back to my cubicle. <laughs> what they teach you? They taught us how to be nice to people. Excuse me. Got to go. So this idea of just going back, talking about this, really behaving our talk. And we talk about the behaviors. And you heard that Art talked about the nine behaviors. They have built this this concept on the nine behaviors. And, And this idea of every day, who are you serving first? You know, Memphis is well known for its gospel music. The only Grammy that Elvis ever got was for a gospel album. There's a song that Shirley Caesar sings called You Got to Mind Somebody and You Got to Serve Somebody. If you're going to be a true leader, you got to serve somebody and you got to serve first. She says you got to serve somebody. Albert Schweitzer says that the purpose of human life is to serve and to show compassion and to have the will to help others. Think about that. That's what the purpose of life is. So who are you going to serve? You serve first. You don't do first. Speaker talked about acting. Acting was third. Connecting was first. Serve first every day. Little things that I try to do is I try to send somebody a nice message every day. Somebody. Just a nice message or a happy birthday or something. That just says it's not about me. Because, you know, you're laying there in bed and that to-do list is running through your head. And what do I have to do? What, what must I do? And all that. And then your breathing starts speeding up. And I was like, wait a minute. I need to try to lift somebody else up today. And, you just say, and it doesn't matter whether you hear back from them. The idea is I'm going to do something to serve somebody else. This idea of... of When you think about serving, the humility of serving, but the strength of serving, the strength of taking the time uh, to serve, you you have to really serve somebody. And eventually in your journey, guess what? You're going to serve everybody. And guess what? Then they will serve you. So serving first. The second one, and we talked about, is building trust. This idea of of trust. Are you trustworthy? People say, I don't steal. Most people say, I don't steal. But are you a person of your word? Can they trust that you will do what you say that you will do? And if you don't, we all make mistakes. We're going to talk about the vulnerability. You just say, I'm sorry. I'll do better. So being trusting. But it also means trusting others who are not like us. We all have unconscious bias. We have implicit bias. We like people who are like us. We love people who are like us. People say, oh, you're from Memphis. Do you know so-and-so? Like, we all know everybody. People say that to people from New York. Oh, you live in New York? Do you know so-and-so? Well, no. Or you find something you have in common with people. Oh, you golf? Oh, my, I golf too. They could be a serial killer. (laughs) You watch CSI. When they go next door and say, did you notice anything? The lady says, he was so nice. 
he, he helped me get my dog back. Lady, he had five people on meat hooks in the basement. But he was just so nice. But we build trust through relationships. Trust is kind of the glue of life, and maybe that's why we all feel so unglued right now, because there is so little trust. It's the most essential ingredient in effective communication. We talk to each other all the time. I have a friend who calls Facebook fake book. She saw all them people smiling and hugging and going on and showing Tierra Masu, you know. <laughs> I'm eating dessert, you know. They're not showing, not that anybody wants to see the darker side of life, but the idea that the effective communications, all relationships Stephen Covey talks about is that we have to have this glue that's called trust. Who do you trust? We got five generations in play now. We've never had five generations in play in the whole universe. People are living longer and they're active longer. We got our World War II people still in play in business, in nonprofit, in philanthropy, in government. We got our boomers. Hey, we got our boomers, 77.8 million of us, more of us than the rest of you. Be very careful. <laughs> and we are still in play because we said we were never going to get old and we were always going to look cute. You know, I think it was some of the drugs that some of them took. I didn't, but. <laughs> then you got your exers who say, let's get to it. I don't have time for this touchy-feely stuff. What's the agenda? Exers, the agenda is being a servant leader. Then you got your wise. I love the wise. And you know, every generation's getting, they skip a generation. So wise get along very well with boomers. They don't get along well with exers. And so you got your wise who are like, you've been at this company 30 years, what you been doing? And then you try to tell them, well see, all we had was a pencil and a selector typewriter when I came here. <laughs> We didn't have any computers. We didn't have any cell phones. But I said, yeah, but what you been doing for the last 30 years? And you said, look, honey, I got shoes older than you. <laughs> and then the wives say, yeah, but you need to stop wearing them. <laughs> and believe it or not, the Zs. The Zs were born in 2000, folks. They are 17. They are working part-time. And be careful because they are driving. <laughs> Five generations in play. And because the pyramid has turned upside down, which we want to do in servant leadership is turn the pyramid upside down, time and position does not denote power and authority. If years ago, you always worked for someone who was older than you. Not so now. I could work for a Y. Hmm. Where's the trust? We got to build trust. We got to get past people's age. We got to get past where they came from. I look, I go back to the civil rights movement. Why? Because I'm an old black woman from the South. That's where we always go. Back to the civil rights movement. <laughs> I look at the early parts of the civil rights movement. I was a child. And when whites became involved in the civil rights movement, a lot of the, I think we were Negroes then. The Negroes said, I can't remember we were colored if we were Negro. We've been a lot. I can't remember which one we were. Depends on what year it was again. Said, wait a minute. Why would white people get involved in this fight? And it was people like Dr. King who said, this is not just a fight for Negroes. This is a fight for everybody. 
Everybody is welcome. Even Malcolm X changed when he had his conversion. And he said, there's room for everybody in this struggle. So this idea of trusting those who are unlike us, trusting those who have come from places that we don't understand, extending trust to others. And then this idea of values. Michael Jackson says, look at the man in the mirror and look in the woman in the mirror. Who are you? What do you value? And again, just like we can, we will list off the nine behaviors of servant leader. We can talk about what we value. I can tell you that I value exercise. I'm standing up here in plus size elastic waist pants. (laughs) See? (laughs) I value exercise, but I don't don't do it. (laughs) So you got to live your values. Probably stand up here and tell you about the benefits of those of us who don't exercise. We read a lot about exercising, how you, your heart rate speeds up and you're gonna live longer, and all this kind of stuff, and the endorphins, and it makes you think. I can tell you all that, but then you look at me like this lady don't value exercise. You gotta live your values and make decisions based on your values. Uh, Roy Disney, who was the brother, imagine being the brother of Walt Disney. Imagine that. Who are you? I'm Walt Disney, brother. I was just so happy to find a quote from Roy Disney, you know? Because he always probably lived in Walt's shadow. Matterhorn over here. Small world over here. Roy said, and it's so wonderful, he said, it's not hard to make decisions once you know what your values are. Again, at that toxic organization that didn't have no servant leaders in it, the values switched from day to day. It switched from day to day, and the people switched from day to day. Not people, but who was in play, who had value. It was very interesting. It was fascinating. Now that I'm outside of it, I had a lot of therapy, and I took a lot of medicine, I can really talk about it now without trembling and without crying and all that kind of stuff. That's what the, the therapy and the medicine will do for you. It'll help you a lot, you know. But I, you, you wonder why one day you were in, like it was said, in fashion. You have, anybody ever watch a Project Runway? In fashion, one day you're in, and the next day you're out. You know, she says that. Well, servant leaders aren't like that. You're always in with servant leaders. You're always in because they value people. We have to value people, not just processes and systems. And the bottom line, we have to value all of it, involving people and valuing them. I may not understand you, but I need to value you. First of all, I need to value you as a human being. There's a game that I play when I uh, facilitate diversity, and it's called Diversity Bingo. And right in the middle of it, it says human being, and everybody gets gets to check that box. Everybody gets to check that box because we're all human. Now, we may be very different in other ways, but we really do have to value everybody else. Oh, this next one about listening to understand. Hierarchical leaders love to talk, says she who makes a small living talking. Hierarchical leaders love to talk. You know, hearing is a sense. Listening is a skill. And now it is so hard to listen. You heard the speaker yesterday talk about the multitasking and listening to the person chew in the background 
and you can, you know, you know, you realize that you're, they're watching the prices right while they're on a conference call because you hear them going, come on down, you know. <laughs> but the idea of listening, do we talk more than we listen? We had one of the Doobie Brothers play for us, uh, you know, the last couple of nights. Song, listen to the music. Doobie Brothers song, listen to the music. Listen to your heart. Don't you feel it growing day by day? People getting ready for the news, the news of servant leadership. Some people are happy, some people are sad, but we got to let the music of servant leadership play. Be present, stop talking, stop. There is no multitasking. They've done no studies with the brain. The brain can only do one thing well at one time. So whatever the second thing that we're doing, it don't work. It doesn't work. We may think we're multitasking. And there is this whole, this busyness thing that she talked about. You know, I, I fly a lot and I hear people, I was in Australia this morning. I'm going to have lunch in China. So what? <laughs> that makes you important? Like I had five days off and I watched SpongeBob and old Andy Griffith. That was fun. <laughs> then they look at you like, hmm, I guess she's not a leader. I guess she's not important. You know, this, this whole idea of listening to understand, we also have to listen for the silence. We also have to listen for what's not being said. I go to meetings, especially board meetings of nonprofits, organizations, associations. They take a vote. There is no discussion. Usually the president of the association says, that went well. I said, did it? Well, nobody had anything to say. What does that tell you? Either they don't care or they're not engaged. See, don't take silence for consent. So listen for what's not being said. It's a discipline. You can take classes to, to listen. I'm not sure what you do, but you, you can take classes to listen. We really need to listen. We're not listening anymore. We're not listening anymore. We're talking a lot because it seems like the value of the talkers goes higher. And this is interesting to our culture. Because in America, we are a very high verbal society. The person who taught, and there are so many quiet leaders. And there's all this work done about the power of the introvert and the role of the introvert as a leader. That leaders aren't the people who talk the loudest or who talk the most. So this listening people. We gotta start listening. Think about your thinking. Did anybody know that Aretha Franklin was born in Memphis, Tennessee? And Aretha has a song that says, think. You better think. You better think about what you're trying to do to me. Let your mind go free. You better think. Think about your thinking. What are we thinking about? Are we thinking positive thoughts? Every time we see somebody who messed up a year ago, mm-hmm, they still messed up. We need to release it. Sing the Frozen song, release that thought and let it go. Servant leaders give people another chance because they know that we're not perfect. So are your thoughts holding yourself back? We talked a lot about servant leaders learning a lot about ourselves. Are the thoughts that we have about ourselves holding us back? All of us didn't get good messages growing up. Some of us did. Some of, I was the only child of an only child. I was beautiful. They told me that all the time. I was fat, I wore glasses, I had big giant plaits. When I look at those pictures, I'm like, who did they think they were raising? <laughs> but my daddy and my granddaddy told me every day that I was beautiful. Had buck teeth, they wasn't putting braces on little black children back then. 
I think now you call it overbite. Back then they called it bug teeth, you know. <laughs> I look at those pictures and I'm like, good, but they, every day they told me I was beautiful. My mother, on the other hand, told me that I needed to be a good person and that I needed to give to the world the best I had and that the world, then the best would come back to me. And that even though I was an only child, she held me accountable. Think about your thinking. How do you think about yourself? People have had folks in their lives who said, you're never going to be nothing. That business is not going to work. This servant leadership won't work. We're going to have to go back to the top-down leadership because that's the only way you can get people to do things. Think about your thinking. Like Aretha says, freedom, freedom, freedom. Servant leadership frees people. First of all, it'll free you because you're not walking in somebody else's shoes and in their mode. And it frees you to be the leader that you can be. And it frees the other people to give as much as they can give. So do like Aretha said, think. Think about what you're trying to do to your other people. Think about what you're trying to do to yourself. Then this idea of, look at all this. I don't think that at my age, I now generate 25 to 50,000 thoughts a day. I think my number is much less. I think sometimes I think the same things over and over again and don't remember that I did it before. <laughs> but if we change those negative thoughts to positive ones, it, it'll, be a, it'll be a whole different. This idea of value, we are always looking for value. When we're shopping, we're looking for value. When we're looking for airline tickets, we're looking for value. What does it mean to add value? One of Peter Drucker's five questions for leaders says, what does the customer value? You notice it doesn't say what does the customer need and what does the customer want? Look at Southwest Airlines. They say they're in the customer service business. The other airlines say they're in the transportation business. Southwest gives you an experience. The others give you a much too tight seat. I fly them all. But the idea that value, are you adding value or are you taking stuff away from people? After an encounter with you, does somebody feel larger? Do they feel stronger? Do they feel healthier? Do they feel empowered? Or do they feel diminished, scared, and torn down? Is that email before you send that nastygram? I'm sure no one in here would ever send a nastygram. Before you send that nastygram, is this, is this email going to add value? Even if it's about corrective action, even if it's about mistakes. When I worked for Northrop Grumman many, many years ago in Chicago, I was in employee relations. I had to terminate people. And I realized that I had to do it with dignity. And that it was the job, it was the person in the job that weren't working at that time. I didn't have to treat the people bad. I didn't have to make them feel less than. And as long as I knew that we had gone through our progressive discipline program, and I would actually thank them for whatever they had done at Northrop. Not the ones who stole, but the others. <laughs> but I thanked them for whatever they had done, and I wished them well, and I told them that I was sorry that it didn't work out but I hope that they had the confidence to go out and find another job. A lady was crying, she lost her job, and she said to me, thank you, because I feel like a bad person. I said, you're not a bad person, it just didn't work out for you. Are we adding value? Are we adding value to people? There's no limit to what we can do when we don't care who gets the credit. See, certain leaders don't care who gets the credit. That's why I hate long introductions. Basically, when you get this age, long introductions basically says that you're old and you've had a lot of jobs. 
both of which I have. This idea of adding value and changing lives, truly valuing people and making myself valuable to each other. You know, when you study networking, everybody networks, network. When you network, you shouldn't go to say, what can I get from other people? What can I give other people? I'm just net, I'm not networking to find out what I can get. And I work with young people. So, well, I thought I was networking to find a job. What value can you add? That'll help you get an, int- get an introduction to the job. And then find out what other people value. Courage. Oh, my gosh. My mother, the non-servant leader. Uh, we lived with my, after we moved from the uh, housing project, my parents and my grandparents bought a house together. And I uh, had two bedrooms my parents and I stayed in the same bedroom. People say that's why I'm an only child, but I don't want to go there. Um, and my mother was determined to get, for them to get their own home. That was part of the plan, because she had a plan. And she started looking at neighborhoods. She started looking at a neighborhood called Glenview in Memphis. And when she started looking, they were still burning crosses in the Glenview neighborhood when I think by that time we were black. Yeah. (laughs) We had been colored, then we were Negro. I think we were just starting to be black at that time. And they had started to burn crosses in the yards of black families who moved into that neighborhood. This would have been in the early, in the late 50s. No, we weren't black then, we were still Negroes. And my mother's friend said, oh my gosh, Why are you looking in the Glenview neighborhood? They're burning crosses over there. You don't want to live there. My mother, who was five foot three, said, anybody going to tell me where to live? The woman had courage. She said, nobody's going to tell me where to live. She said, I can live wherever I want to. Now, it took them three years to save a down payment. And by the time they did that, they weren't burning crosses anymore. But the courage that she had to say, I am not afraid. I will live where I want to live. We will live where we want to live. We will live where we can raise our daughter. We can live where we will have a good family. The courage that she had was telling my grandmother and my grandfather that we were moving out. That took more courage than anything. (laughs) But the idea is that courage. I was 15 minutes from where Dr. King was killed. The people who brought Dr. King into Memphis had courage. They were sanitation workers. They were black sanitation workers. They weren't on an org chart. They weren't on anybody's list. And guess what they wanted? All they wanted was to be able to take bathroom breaks. And they called Martin Luther King and said, can you come here? He knew that the climate had changed. He knew that there was a lot of adversity against him. And they had the courage to call him. Can you imagine being, we didn't even call them sanitation workers. Anybody old enough, they were garbage men. Let's just call, that was the name of the job back then. They were the garbage men. Imagine being called a garbage man. And they wore placards that said, I am a man. I got to see one of those, the last one who was still alive a few years ago. 
at a Martin Luther King Day ceremony in Memphis. Little old man in a wheelchair. By now, the placard was as big as he was. We were in this stadium. He stood up. They introduced him. And you could see that I am a man. His back straightened up, and we just all cheered and cried and praised him. He was a servant leader. The courage to be a garbage man and to call Martin and to take on the city of Memphis at that time. Servant leaders are courageous. Tough decisions. It's not easy to implement servant leadership. It's not easy to break down the hierarchy. It's not easy to turn the pyramid upside down. You got to have courage. You got to be brave. You got to be bold, but not arrogant. We have to stand on what we know is right. High standards, moral courage. Every time I think about that little man, and I think about in the 50s when somebody called and said, I just want a a break to go to the bathroom, and I deserve this. And we deserve some higher wages because the white garbage men made more money and the black garbage men weren't allowed to drive the trucks. Imagine that's what they were asking for. Because if you drove the truck, you made a little bit more money. That type of courage. Now, you may never be faced with those type of situations, but it takes courage within organizations and families. Oh, this idea of asking for help. The Beatles, help. I need somebody. Help. Not just anybody. Help. You know I need somebody. Now, this is where the generations come in. Boomers, we will ask for help. Help me. Boomers, get on the phone. I need help. I got a mess over here. I got a mess. I need your help. Xers, see, because you've had your life plan since you were like 15. Had your life plan. I'm going to be this by the time I'm 19. I'm going to major in this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Boomers, we didn't have no plan. We're just like, we, you know. <laughs> well, the world changed on us. We were raised a certain way. And then in the late 60s and early 70s, the world flipped. And boomer women, the world totally flipped for us. So when you add being a boomer, a woman, and a woman of color, and from the South, the world turned totally upside down for me. I'm glad it did, but it was hard to navigate it. And you need help. We all need help. I remember the first time for Northrop Grumman, I was going to take a business trip. Oh, my gosh. And I was coming to California from Chicago. I had no, that's when they had to cut you a check. Well, no credit card, business credit card. They had to cut you a check, and you had to fill out all these little forms and everything. I had no idea. See, all the men knew how to do that. I had never done it before. And I went to one of the other women, and I said, I don't know how to do this. Help me. And she said, I'll help you. She said, I don't know how to do it either, but I'm going to ask somebody. (laughs) Because back then, women didn't travel, let alone young women. And she gave me all the little forms and she told me, she gave me a little envelope to put my receipts in and all that. We have to help for help. The strongest thing to do is ask for help because that means you're making yourself vulnerable. You're saying, I'm not perfect. Servant leaders are not perfect. Sorry. Hierarchy leaders are always perfect. They're always all that in a bag of chips. This idea of being humble. You also get to thank somebody when somebody helps you. Thank you, thank you. A realistic self-image, not some elevated self-image. I love Art walked up here yesterday and said, Art, you know, Art, I'm late. I'm sorry, I was late. I need to work on that bathroom time. I was like, go, Art. Somebody in the back went, ooh, Art Barter goes to the bathroom. (laughs) Of course he does. 
because we're all human beings, you learn what strength really is. You become more well-rounded. So be like the Beatles. Help, I need somebody. But not just anybody. You need another servant leader. This idea of talking about influence, again, do you strive to be open with no hidden agendas? Oh, the hidden agendas. That toxic organization that I work with, they could have been the CIA. They might have been the CIA. How did I know? You know. They had more hidden agendas. Oh, my gosh. You do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. You're open and honest about what the agenda, and I'm not talking about the printed agenda because we all have those, the printed agenda. It's amazing. There's the meeting before the meeting to get the meeting together, and by the time you walk in the meeting, the people who already have already met, and then there's three of us sitting there who are not quite sure what's going on because we're not part of the hidden agenda group. But this idea of you don't have any hidden agendas as a servant leader. You are open and transparent and honest. You say, well, there are business secrets that we can't talk about. Of course, but we're not duplicitous with people. If you say there are things that we can't talk about right now, you just say that. And we will let you know. Or if you don't need to know basis. I worked for Northrop Grumman. All I knew is that we made radar jammers. I didn't know anything else. I didn't want to know anything else. But I knew about the people. So this idea of you don't hide anything. I am what I am. You know, get out in the open. It's kind of hard to resist this pressure of high profits at the expense of employee needs and growth. But I tell you what, if you put the employee or the volunteer or the board needs and growth first, you'll get your profits. You'll get your mission. Be real. Take off the mask. How many of us get to take off the mask? I'm not talking about makeup, ladies. And some gentlemen. No, men's grooming is, is a big thing now. This whole idea of taking off the mask. We are forced to wear the mask in so many roles. When I was raising my sons, and again, I was an only child. What, having two children was like a lab experiment for me. So what did I know? And I thought I needed to be perfect all the time. First of all, I'll be very indelicate and just tell you that I wore a bra for 18 years. It made me cranky. But I thought that if you were raising boys, you needed to, you know, kind of have the girls all trussed up, you know. Then I walked around labeling things all the time so that they would have stimulation. See, I read all those books. So they have stimulation, and so they would read stove and table and all that. And we, I did all of, all of that kind of stuff. And then at work, I wore the mask. Back at home, I was always making my bed because I wanted to show them how to make a bed, hanging up clothes, doing all those types of things. Then at work, you had to wear the mask. Oh, and the mask at work when you went into the workplace in the 70s. What did they tell us, boomer ladies? Don't act like a girl. That's all we knew how to act like. They said, don't wear light colors. Don't wear florals. Pull your hair back. Don't put pictures of your kids up. Don't let them see you cry. We put on ugly pantsuits. We pulled our hair back. And then they told me, don't act too black and don't act like a southerner. (laughs) No, I was told that. That the only way that I was going to be successful was I couldn't be too girly. I couldn't be too black. I couldn't be too southern. It's like, who am I supposed to be? That was the whole assimilation phase. See, hierarchical leaders need people to assimilate to look like them and to act like them. Where servant leaders, going back to Aretha's freedom, 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 allow people to be themselves within the context of the organization's missions and goals. Can people take off their mask around you? I was so glad when I finally went to work for a place where I could say, y'all, 
and where I could just let the curls be free. I was so happy. It's just funny. You say, well, why is that important? Because I need to be who I am. And now I'm old. I really don't kind of care what you think. You know, I mean, I, I hope you like me and that we're having a good time here together. But I don't think that I could be impactful at all, personally, professionally, if I can't be myself. I told you that I watched SpongeBob. I showed you my elastic waist pull-up pants. I told you they were plus size, like you needed me to tell you that. Uh, <laughs> Take off your mask, but also be the type of leader where people are okay taking off their mask around you. And then you got to live your transformation. See, servant leaders really live in the future. This whole idea of transformation is, is that our actions today create our future tomorrow. It's, it's just, it's transformation. Sam Cooke's saying a change is going to come. I think after this conference, a change is going to come in your life as well as in your organization in your world, a change is going to come. It has to come. When we look at this idea of which step have you reached today, oh, this takes time. Some of you are sitting here saying, I won't do this. This is a nice conference. These people are nice, but I won't do this. Somebody says, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. You got help. See, this is, this is your tribe. See, everybody has a tribe. We all need a tribe of people. We're tribal people. We all are. We weren't designed to be alone. This is your servant leader tribe. If you leave here and never connect with anybody who was here, then I'm not sure why you were here. Some of you say, I want to do this. Others of you saying, how do I do it? Servant Leader Institute will help you to do it. Somebody saying, I'm trying to do this. Somebody says, I can do it. Somebody says, I will do it. Somebody says, yes, I did it. But guess what? Then you got to do it all over again the next day. These behavioral outcomes, you got to have this sense of purpose empowerment, engagement, and significance. Significance, not because of the topic, not because you are such a significant being, but because this is a significant thing to do. So what are you going to do? This is an artificial environment. They have kept us caffeinated, <laughs> sugared up, played music for us. We've been sitting here deep in thinking deep thoughts, and checking in with people, and we're all of one like mind in here, the question is, what you going to do? All worthwhile men and women have good thoughts, but very few of them move them into action. So what are you going to do? Acknowledge the A, that servant leadership is a key element in your personal and professional development. That is key. It's not just nice. It's necessary. It's the key that unlocks your personal and professional development. Commit to supporting it, promoting and fully encouraging being involved in it, to being a servant leader. You say, I can't change my organization, Vicki. You can change yourself. You can change yourself. That's where it all starts. And the T is target. Because the lady told us yesterday, we're trying to do too much. Target our strategies for our personal growth and development. You have a worksheet on your sheet um, table discussion. We are not going to do it. I'm giving you homework because I want to stay on time because I want to be invited back. So the idea of taking this and actually looking at this and saying, what am I going to do? Which of these behaviors do I need to work on? What do I bring to the table? The positive idea of a servant leader first saying, what do I bring to the table? And that's okay. Then this idea of what am I going to work on and what am I going to change? Because this is all about transformation and change. 
Are you in the band? Are you in the band? You know, was anybody in the high school band? High school band? See the high school band? The band was amazing. Y'all wore those little cool uniforms and everything. I was in a band for a year, just a year. That's another story. Um, I was in a band for a year. But the band, we're all in this band. This band is called Humanity. And the music is the music of life. And different songs are going to play during life. If you haven't had a bad year in your life, I'm here to tell you that you will. I'm also here to tell you that you, with people like people in this room, if you allow yourself to be authentic, tell your story, lift other people, after you have that bad year, you will stand. You will stand stronger. You will stand taller. You will be more the person that you want to be. Work these behaviors. March to the beat of a different drama. Be the leader that you know you can be. Help other people to play their song. Know which song to play. Lead where you stand. And as Elvis said, put on your blue suede shoes and dance. It's my honor. It's my joy to be with you to travel this journey of servant leadership. I am not an expert in servant leadership. I try to practice this every day. I try to treat people the way I want. Oh, do I, the way I want them to treat me. Do I succeed all the time? Heck no. That's that woman at American Airlines who I gave the look to the other day. <laughs> it wasn't a very servant leader thing to do. But the idea is that this is about caring for people, being a resource, being present, being your best, and creating a place, a place in which people can do good work and find meaning. How are you going to behave, as my grandmother used to say? Are you going to behave? Are you going to be a servant leader? It's only nine steps. Take a walk on the wild side. Take a walk on the wild side. Lead the band from where you stand. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And for more information on the Servant Leadership Institute, visit us on our website. That's www.servantleadershipinstitute.com. And registration is now open for our 2018 Servant Leadership Conference titled Shift into Drive. On stage, we have the pleasure of having presentations by our founder, Art Barter, as well as Mark Miller, VP of Training and Development for Chick-fil-A. Returning from last year, we have Vicki Clark and also Ken Blanchard, with more speakers to be announced soon. The conference will be held at the Marriott Marquis in San Diego, California, February 19th and 20th, with a complimentary networking event February 18th. And you can also subscribe now to receive our weekly tips by going onto our website. These are great short tips that are intended to challenge and motivate you while you are going through your servant leadership journey. And finally, we would love you to grab a copy of our latest publication, The Servant Leadership Journal, written by SLI founder and CEO Art Barter. This is an 18-week journey to transform you and your organization, available now on our website and on Amazon.com. Thank you for listening and allowing us to add value to your day. 